What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Unscaled. That's right, that's right. It's the travel show, your favorite travel show in the whole wide world. And, uh, you know, there's me, the Full Metal Traveler, Jeremy Long, bringing you all that wonderful travel goodness. I know you've been craving it. So, uh, you know, welcome to the show. We're going to have fun like we always do. We're going to have some laughs and uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite places in the entire world. And I know I say that a lot about a lot of places, man. I just really love to travel, but this really is probably one of the first places that I ever fell in love with when we traveled and we're talking Portugal, the whole, the whole country, the whole darn country. We're talking about it and uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to have a good time doing it. Uh, with me, as always, is my beautiful, talented, lovely wife, Amy. Hello. Come on, man. Sounding sultry. <laughs> Get out of here. The acclaimed romance author and children's book author, Amy Long, joins us. And we're, uh, you know, Amy, uh, I, I, you, we're kidding around here a little bit about Portugal, but I, I'm not kidding that much. No, you're not. We. It's the first time we were ever on vacation and you said... I want to move here. <laughs> and we've been to a few different yeah. places. And I've said that before, but this was the first time you said that. And if you're listening, I'm not joking. Before the second day was over, he had already looked into what we would need to do to move to Portugal mm -hmm. and kept talking about it yeah. for the rest of the trip. <laughs> to the point where she was finally having to tell me, I was like, hey, okay, bro, okay, let's just have fun. Yeah. yeah. Stop <laughs> looking at real estate. Stop looking at all that stuff. You're, <laughs> we got uh, different things going on. Can't do that right now. But if, you know, hey, if uh, money was no object, if time and all of those other things were no object, I would have me a place in Portugal. Why? Well, we're going to get into all of that. Um, in this show, we're going to talk first off about, you know, we're going to answer some common questions that people have when planning a trip to Portugal for the first time or maybe going back again you know the second time or, or after you know pandemic and stuff then a little bit later in the show we're going to talk to clint henderson he is the managing editor for the pointsguy.com uh there are some new travel restrictions and parameters that are coming up around the corner it might be a few months it might be a year from now but they are coming that's going to require certain things of americans whenever they come uh whenever they want to visit a lot of Europe. I'm going to say 30 plus nations in Europe. And uh, so he's going to explain all that and what you need to know and uh, when it's coming, how it's going to affect you when you travel, all of that. Then we're going to give you a customized three or four day itinerary. If you are looking at traveling to Portugal, what we've done, the mistakes we made, what we've learned from it, we're going to share it all with you. So this is one of those episodes that's jam-packed full of good, good information, meaty. Yeah, I like my information. Like, oh, I'm not going to finish mm -hmm. that. So, uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Well, we're going to move on. I'm going to get mitted. Uh, <laughs> we're going to answer some common questions first off. One of the, uh, we've been asked this directly and we, um, we see it in chat rooms and stuff like that. All, all. Did you just say chat rooms? Well, you know, forums. <laughs> Chat rooms. I'm old, man. That's AOL. Uh, <laughs> That's, he just dated himself. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Chat rooms. Oh, my, my heart hurts. My old, old heart. Um, 
one of the first questions that people usually ask when planning a trip to Portugal, of course, is when is the best season to go? When is the best time to go? Experts usually say spring. That's kind of when we went. I think we went, what, beginning of March? It was in March. I can't remember when exactly, but mm-hmm. it was 22 last year yeah. in March. Sorry, my brain just stopped. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it was nice. However, spring seems to be the same everywhere in that one day it's going to rain, one day it isn't. So, Man, I'm telling you, it rained two, at least two whole days. Right. While we were there, which didn't stop our sightseeing. We still got out. I mean, we were still in Portugal. We were still going to make the most of it, but <laughs> I loved it everywhere we went. People were like, man, well, you know, it hasn't rained like this in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, all I needed, well, all you needed was me to visit your country because it rains everywhere I go. And not just a little sprinkle, heavy, heavy rain. <laughs> someone's someone's telling me something. I'm not listening. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it was a downpour, uh, especially like our last day. Right. Our last day was uh, pretty heavy. Uh, another kind of question that you get off of that is like, when is the best time to buy a flight? Now, most flights or most, uh, I would say most uh, airline companies, uh, generally about six or seven months out, because that, that's when they release their schedules for buying flights. Uh, so that's probably about as far out as you can go. If you could buy mm-hmm. two years in advance, that would be awesome. But, you know, can't really do that anymore. So the best time to fi- buy a flight is whenever you see a good deal, whenever you see a deal that fits your budget, because the way flights, the algorithms now that control right. flight prices, the way they jump up and down. Now, there are services like uh, we we have a subscription to, uh, it's called Going now, but it used to be Scott's Cheap Flights. It's a pretty good service. They send you, you know, when they find fares Mm -hmm. like low fares from your airport to the destinations around the world they send it out to you so and i think their their yearly annual pass is like i want to say it's less than 50 dollars. right it's not very much but the caveat to that and i think what you're trying to say is when you see a good deal you have to jump on it because it's not going to last in fact i traveled yesterday and i heard the guy behind me on the plane saying he had looked at the plane tickets two weeks ago they were 150 for the flight we were on. He logged out, logged back in. They had jumped up to 250, and then he didn't have something. I don't know. For some reason, his he had to log back in again. And when he logged back in the third time to actually pay for it, his flight was over 300 dollars within Man. a 10 minute time frame. His flight doubled in price. So when you see a good deal, you have to buy it right then. Yeah. Don't refresh your screen. Buy the flight. Yep. Yeah. Buy the ticket, take the ride. Right. Uh, the, the next probably most common question is, will my cell phone work? Uh, most U.S. carriers like T-Mobile, they do have international packages. Um, and, you know, phones for the most part will work. Now, like newer phones, like iPhone 14s and above, uh, have eSIMs. They don't really require physical SIM cards anymore to change out. They do have eSIMs. So basically, like your phone will work they're really going to throttle your data. Your data, I mean, if you don't need to Google things all the time, you probably won't need to change much about your phone. But T-Mobile does have international packages where you can buy data plans. They'll speed your phone up. 
and I think it's like uh, when I used, I did use it for a week in Portugal. It was like twenty five dollars for a week. So if you don't mind the extra expense, you can have your phone just as normal. But if you just need something where you can uh, like call and receive messages, maybe you got kids back home or family members or whatever, download WhatsApp. Download this app called WhatsApp. You can right. make phone calls for free. You can text for free. And, you know, you're not going to include any charges or anything like that. So there you go. WhatsApp will be your best friend whenever you're traveling to most countries in the world. Right. We use it. We use it every time <coughs> mm-hmm. we travel internationally. And I have some coworkers who are international, and that's how they communicate with me is through WhatsApp. It's super easy. Yeah. Uh, another couple, like, questions. Do they have Uber? Yes. Uh, in the cities. They have Uber in Porto. They have it in Lisbon. And some of the bigger cities around Portugal, you're going to have Uber. Smaller cities, no. But no, it's kind of like here in the U.S. or something. Right. Uh, do they speak English? Yes. A, a lot of places. Most places. They Look, they are, I don't know, I don't know how to say smarter. They are more culturally acquired. They, they're taught uh, multiple languages at a younger age. And uh, yes, a lot of places do. It's very westernized. Right. It's very westernized. And it's catered to uh, English-speaking tourists. So, yes, most places, again, bigger cities, you're probably not going to have an issue. Smaller places, maybe a little bit more issue. Uh, And then there's questions such as renting a car and public transportation. Yes, you can rent a car. You can drive. We drove. We rented a car. We drove up the coast. We're going to get to that. Uh, You will need an international driver's license. Just Google it, international driver's license. You need one of these if you're going to drive or if you're going to rent a car in a lot of countries. And it's not expensive, and it only takes a couple of minutes. There's a bunch of places online. Uh, you know, just the first page of Google. I don't know why the second page of Google even exists, but the first page <laughs> of Google, just go there. A lot of reputable places. It will run you between $20 and $30 a year. It's good for a year. and But you need it for renting a car public transportation is very good lots of trains right um although learn the train schedule (laughs) learn the metro (laughs) schedules wherever you go uh do your very best to read up on that before you go don't try to figure it out in the train station because you're gonna get really frustrated and you know you're gonna yell at people who don't deserve it um (laughs) and then like there's weird things like uh you know are there Starbucks, McDonald's, my favorite restaurant? The whole point of traveling is that you don't eat these at these places, right? That's right. what I would think off the top of my head. Like, you know, try something different other than McDonald's and all of that. The caveat there, look, if you're traveling with kids, mm-hmm. okay, or you just need a meal, you're starving, you just need something familiar or whatever that reason is, yes, they have a McDonald's. They don't have as many Starbucks as they do at McDonald's, but you can do without your Starbucks, okay? And if your kid is jonesing for that much caffeine from Starbucks, look, you got other problems. You, you need to <laughs> sort out with your little ones, okay? But, yes, McDonald's is like here. It's like everywhere. Yeah. they did. I, we did see the chains in the larger cities and mm-hmm. not really in the smaller cities. So, again, yep. if you're venturing out of those major points of Portugal mm-hmm. being Lisbon and Porto and some of the other 
bigger cities like that, you may not see a Starbucks or a McDonald's the farther out you go. But they do exist in the country if you're in the right place. Uh, Finally, like uh, tipping. I, you know, I don't remember tipping that much, but tipping right. is usually five to ten percent on a bill, usually only at restaurants. It's not here. It, this Seven <laughs> Eleven, or this you. corner store, yeah. that's right across the street from our house. Right. And what the other day, they have a tip jar. Right. What? What? Yeah. For what? <laughs> oh my God! It's maddening. It's very frustrating. It is. I mean, just you just kind of just go, why? Anyway, I could go on and rant about that forever. But when we come back. We are going to speak with Clint Henderson, the managing editor for The Points Guy, about these new travel restrictions and what you need to know before planning your next trip to Europe here in the future. You're going to keep it right here. This is Unscaled. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unscaled. Jeremy Long here. We're talking everything travel this morning, of course. And uh, now we shift our focus over to the broader scope of Europe. And, uh, well, the travel landscape is set to change in 2024 as 1.4 billion people from visa-exempt countries will now have a new set of rules and parameters to enter over 30 European countries, including, uh, you know, popular places like France, Italy, Spain, and the like. Here to explain a bit more about these new travel requirements is Clint Henderson, the managing editor at The Points Guy. Thank you so much, uh, Clint, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just kick it right off. First, can you give us uh, some details about what these changes are? Yeah, so essentially the European Union has been talking about doing an ETIAS system for some time now. In fact, um, they've been talking about it since 2016, and it got delayed during COVID, and it's actually been delayed several times since then. So we're not even sure it's going to actually happen in 2024, but that's the plan right now is that this is going to roll out sometime in 2024. It will require all people who want to visit Europe to fill out an online application and pay a uh, seven euro, that's about $8 US in order to get approved for entry into Europe. So anytime you're traveling to Europe, you'll need one of these visas. The good news is is it will last for three years. So you don't need to get it multiple times, but after two years it expires um, and everyone will have to pay except those under 18 and those over 70. So there are some exemptions in it, but um, yeah, when this rolls out, it's gonna be a pain. <laughs> so I, you know, because we know that American travelers are the most uh, even kill group uh, around the world, they're probably their first questions are probably why this program and why now. Yeah, so essentially, it's very similar to what Europeans have to deal with when they come to the United States. We have our own version of this. It's called ESTA, and every time a, a foreigner wants to come visit, they have to fill out a similar online application form and get approved beforehand. It just helps security and helps customs officers you know so many people are traveling now that they want an extra layer of protection Um, it could also potentially flag some people they don't want to visit uh people with criminal histories etc etc so this will essentially uh force them out and they won't be allowed um they won't be allowed to to visit at all so that's another thing to be aware of if your application gets flagged it can take up to four days for you to be approved so uh, really need to keep that in mind and plan ahead when this rolls out. 
Uh, you mentioned the application process, but what exactly can travelers, with the knowledge that we have right now, what can they expect during the application process? So basically, it'll ask you your personal information. So they want they want to know who you are, and then they're going to ask you a series of travel questions. I don't expect the application to be particularly onerous, so I don't think it's going to be terribly complicated. Like uh, some visa requirements uh, require you to actually say every single country you've ever been in, and that won't be a, that won't happen here. Uh, unless you get a secondary screening request, and then they might ask for more of your travel history, but it should be fairly straightforward. They say it's going to take only 10 minutes to fill out, so I'm expecting they're going to try to make it as seamless as possible. Now, we, we kind of joked a little bit earlier, but, uh, you know, just looking from a personal perspective, do you foresee really any entry or departure times just, you know, going off the rails? I mean, it already takes so long, you know, sometimes to get into countries, whether you're coming to America or you're going somewhere else, you see this kind of being a boondoggle, uh, at least uh, from the get-go? I think it's going to be a boondoggle when it first rolls out and most people are not aware of it. Yeah. Um, so I am a little bit worried, but I will say it will make the screening process once you arrive overseas a little easier because you'll have been pre-screened. So the Customs and Border Patrol agent can see that you were pre-approved. So that may speed things up. And it certainly gives another layer of security protection to European Shenzhen area uh, country uh, and their and their sort of border security. Now, uh, of course, once you're once you're over in Europe and you've gone through the process, you know, I know this is good for planes and, and, and maybe cruise travel and things like that. But what about land borders? Are you also going to have to repeat the process if crossing a land border? Yeah, so we don't know the exact routine for land borders yet. Um, I will say between countries within Europe or within the Shenzhen zone, you will likely not have to do anything. Uh, but the the onus is going to be on the cruise ship companies, on the airlines to enforce this. So they're the ones who are going to have to be uh, sort of policing this, just like we saw during COVID. And that could be a mess as well when this rolls out. Um, as far as if you're crossing from a, a non-European country into a European country, on your first border entry, you're likely going to have to have this. But, um, but like I said, we don't know all the details for land borders yet. Uh, I am worried about the impact on airlines. So, now uh, we mentioned, of course, this largely affects European Union countries and everything. Do you see uh, or foresee anything like maybe the UK or Ireland or places like this uh, adopting something similar to this in the future? Yes, I do. Now, Ireland's in a little weird call out, and I'm not sure exactly how they're going to fit into this yet. But I will say, if you are a citizen of the UK, you are going to have to fill out an EFTA to go to Europe. Mm -hmm. So another another sort of after effect of Brexit here, um, UK citizens will also have to fill this out. So and uh, and Britain is allegedly also ruling something like this out. So we'll see. Um, in, in any, no matter how you slice it, it's another layer of complexity to travel, which we don't like friction in these situations. It always, it slows things down and I, I'd prefer we're not going to see it, but you know, they say they need it. So, <laughs> well, finally, you know, uh, they're going to be collecting a lot of information when it seems like data privacy and everything is, is kind of that thing that sits on people's tongues as they travel and as they move around online. Have they said how all this data being collected is going to be used? They promise that they have very big safeguards in place. Again, we don't have the details on it, but I will say the European Union has been better about personal privacy than countries like the United States thus far. 
that said, you know, anything's hackable, right, these days. So, you know, there has to be some concern that this information could get out in some form or fashion, but it's not like we have a choice. So it's, it's not like accepting cookies on your browser. You, know, you have to do this if you want to go to Europe. So we'll see. We'll see if it actually happens in 2024. This there. may get kicked down, the, kicked down the road a bit more. There you go. Well, that's the latest information, uh, Clint. I know you're busy. You can hear the the noise, folks. See, he's jetting off somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully, it's somewhere sunny and warm. The there you the go. There you go. See, come on. Somebody's got to live that life, man. Well, that's right. <laughs> Clint, thanks so much for joining us and for the latest on the new entry changes into Europe and for all the best information on how to maximize your travel. Be sure to check out thepointsguy.com. Clint Henderson, thank you so much for your time, man. And uh, you know what? I guess have fun in the Bahamas, bro. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good day. All right. Well, there you have it. The latest on uh, all the entry requirements from Clint Henderson at thepointsguy.com. Like Clint said, this may end up getting kicked down the road. It's been in, you know, the, the plan has been in place for just a little while now for a couple of years, actually. And then COVID kind of, uh, you know, messed those plans up and everything. So it's best just to start prepping for this mentally. (laughs) You may have another layer of complexity to travel around Europe and places, uh, you know, that are outside of uh, American borders. Hey, nothing new. Just get used to it, folks. Fair or unfair, let us know fullmetaltraveler.com. Let me know what you think about this and everything uh, that we kind of chatted with with Clint today. When we come back, we're going to have more. Stay with us. It's Unscaled. Welcome back to Unscaled. Jeremy Long, the Full Metal Traveler. For all of our past interviews and episodes, please go to fullmetaltraveler.com. Or if you just like to see pictures of me, and go, who is this idiot? <laughs> who is this Momo here talking about? Things? Anyway, we're talking about Portugal today. Earlier in the show, we answered some common questions that people like to have answered before they travel to Portugal. Then we just spoke to Clint Henderson, the managing editor at thepointsguide.com, who filled us in on that lovely set of travel rules and restrictions that is now going to haunt my waking dreams. Um, Nothing we could do about it. They've been planning it for years. It's going to be happening. An entry fee, about $7. It's only $7, and it's good for a while. But still, it's the principality, Smokey, but... I guess turnabout is fair play because uh, the U.S. has been doing it to foreigners for years now. So I guess we're getting ours. So I'm here with my co-host, Amy Long. Hello. We are doing the thing. Talking travel, talking Portugal. So, you know, we've answered questions. We talked about some travel restrictions, and now we're going to give you a kind of a breakdown of maybe a three or four day itinerary, maybe some ideas. Now you, you don't have to do these exact things. This is what we did. And this is for more of a couple, or maybe if you're traveling with a, another couple or something like that, 
Um, we didn't do a whole lot of like kid stuff. No. In this one. So that is the precursor to this. We didn't do a whole lot of kid stuff. It's not a whole family itinerary, but I think you can still take pieces of what we've done and add it to your own thing because we had a really phenomenal, phenomenal time. So Right. We we were there right at four days mm -hmm. and we packed it full of stuff. We like to do a lot of sightseeing. So we kind of covered a lot of ground and a lot of different things to see that could easily, maybe depending on how, how your kids are, they might find <laughs> it interesting or yeah. you know what, maybe you do what we did and you just make it a couple's trip. Yeah. It is a very lovely place. I don't know if you've ever thought of Portugal as romantic, but I do now. Oh, do you? I do. Get out of here. So, um, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> after uh, after arriving, now we, uh, if you've been to the website, if you've listened to the show before, we firmly believe in elevated experiences. What does elevated experience mean? It is not necessarily luxury. Luxury means something. I think there's a hard definition with luxury. Um, as far as like places you stay or places you eat elevated could be just, you know, I always explain it as going from economy class to business select or something. Oh, you're, you're just getting a little bump up. You know, you're getting a little bit better chair, a little bit more leg room, a little bit, you know, so we try to do that. We are not in the age group anymore where we are going to stay at hostels. No. Um, we typically are not, when we go out to eat in, in foreign countries, we are not going to go to the, to a McDonald's if we can avoid it. Right. Um, saying that we have, but we have, we try not to, but we try not to. Okay. So some of these things are going to come down to taste of your personal preference and your personal budget. That's, you know, these, these, uh, these are my trigger warnings. I'm letting people know in case you get offended by the fact that uh, some money was spent in some places on this trip. I just let you know. So, so. saying that <laughs> we did do the first half of this trip in what I would call luxury. Mm -hmm. And then we, I won't say declined the luxury level, but we moved from a higher scale luxury to probably more of a regular level yeah. <laughs> type of experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we definitely ramped it down. Uh, okay, so first, after arrival, we answered the question earlier, do they have Uber? Yes. We took Uber from the airport um, to a beautiful, beautiful resort. Uh, it is a Ritz-Carlton. It's called Penhalunga. Lovely. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous property. It's outside of Sintra. Sintra is that famously colorful town that's like into the mountains and there's a very beautiful and restored and brightly colored castle mm -hmm. that overlooks uh, Sintra. It's, uh, it was, uh, it's hundreds of years old. It was often like the playground of the kings of Portugal and their royal courts and all of that stuff and where they went to just kind of relax, you know, because being king is hard. Um, so <laughs> it's this beautiful property. So Penhalunga is where we stayed. 
Uh, and if you're a golf enthusiast, mm. it is a golf course property. It's a highly rated golf course. It is course. a highly, yes. It has a 27-hole course on mm-hmm. property. And we got to see all of it. We drove around the property on a golf cart, and it is vast. Yeah. You, it's hard to believe that it's just right outside of of the metropolis of Lisbon, yeah. the Lisbon area, but it is beautiful. So if you're a golfer, I would definitely put this on your list of places to stay at and play at. Mm-hmm. And there's also uh, on property, there's a uh, Michelin star restaurants. I think two of them. I think two. they have two, yeah. yep. two Michelin star restaurants. So you don't even have to leave the property really to experience some really crazy dining. Uh, but real quickly, so we go and check in, which is just, I mean, it's Ritz Carlton. If you stayed at one here in the U.S., boom, you know what to expect when going to Europe. Maybe even a touch up because, you know, it's Europe. Um, nearby, we went and drove a little bit over to, uh, um, I'm going to totally butcher the names here, uh, Castle St. Maria. It's a winery. Uh, it's not too far away. Maybe, what, a 20-minute drive? Yeah, it wasn't very far at all. But it's it's an old winery. It's one of the it's super super nice. They gave you they'll give you a private tour of the winery grounds. Well, it's a vineyard and winery. Oh, so, it's a vineyard and yeah. winery. Yes. So I, we toured sorry. the vineyard, which isn't huge. We mm-hmm. were able to walk the whole property in about 15, 20 minutes, and then we went into the winery itself and explored that. And it's this old, gorgeous house, and like the basement is. <laughs> It has these huge barrels in it. It was, we have so many pictures, but it was gorgeous. And then, of course, there was the wine tasting after. Uh, but our guide was very knowledgeable and was talking about the history of the property mm-hmm. and the family that owned it. And it was so fascinating that, of course, we ended up buying wine and bringing it back. And now we look for this wine everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. To yep. see if we can find it. And right in the middle of the property, the, you know, probably one of their most famous things is they have a humongous dragon blood tree right that was planted there what hundreds of years ago and has been with the property ever since and so it's really something you got to see to believe it's castle saint maria all of this is going to be on fullmetaltraveler.com too our whole itinerary is going to be under this episode uh from castle saint maria we drove to cabo de raca which mm-hmm. is the westernmost point in europe there's like a lighthouse and a beautiful statue and it's the coast, and it's dropping cliffs, and it's water, and it's all that excitement. Uh, but Cabo de Raca, uh, I'm totally butchering these, man. I should have practiced the names uh, <laughs> before we started. Uh, so Castle St. Maria Vineyard and Winery over to Cabo de Raca, which is the westernmost point in Europe. Uh, then we drove down, uh, drove down the what highway there, the road from... Uh, down to what was the name of that town? It's called Kashkais. Kashkais. Yep. Kashkais is a like a. It's a little. It's a beach it's town. Swanky. It's yeah, a swanky it's, beach it's town. It's a fancy beach town, and there's a marina. Um, mm-hmm. They said that the prime minister of Portugal is often seen there at mm-hmm. the beach. Yeah, Ronaldo has a place. Right. He was. I think his place was under construction. So if you you know like soccer, soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. Has a huge, huge house there. Uh, and then, so we did that, saw the uh, sites at Kashkais, and that was kind of the day. 
that sounds it's only like three or four places but really once you if you tour the winery and vineyard if you drive over and take pictures and everything uh Cabo de Rocket and then make the time to go to Cascais that's like a whole day we finished that day off eating dinner at one of the Michelin star restaurants that back, were there at uh back at Penhalunga back yeah. at Penhalunga yeah we ate at i believe it was lab hmm is that what it's called? I think Lab. that's the one that we ate at. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> that sounds about right. Well, there's two of them. There are two. And and the interesting thing is, if I'm remembering correctly, they're both in the same space, but one side is one Michelin star restaurant and the other side is the other restaurant. So mm-hmm. that's why we're a little confused on which one we actually ate at because you walk through the same door. There's signs for both right there. And then they just ask you, like, which menu do you want to eat off of? And you go sit on that side. (laughs) So I've never been in a dual restaurant before, but it was, you know, a good use of the space. Yeah. Uh, There are a couple of restaurants on there. It's uh, like you mentioned, Lab by Sergei Arola, celebrated chef. Then there's a Japanese cuisine called Midori. Oh, right. Yeah, and then there's uh, the tapas place that I think we ate. Oh, that's the one. And it's called just Arola, which is also by Sergei Arola. But one of them has a Michelin star, which is Lab, and one of them does not, I don't believe. The tapas place doesn't. Well, it's the same place. It's very confusing. Same thing. (laughs) They share a space. They share a cook. They share a history and everything. But one has a Michelin star. One doesn't. Lab is the one. That is Michelin starred on Penhalunga's property. Uh, so that is the end of day one. If you like to go there, that's what you need to do. When we come back, we are going to take a little time and kind of speed it up a little bit. Talk about days two, three, and four. This is unscaled, right? We're right. doing it all, all day long. This is how we do it. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Unscaled. It's Jeremy Long, the Full Metal Traveler. We're talking itineraries for Portugal. The whole darn show's about Portugal today. We gave you day one. Now we're going to fly through some other uh, suggestions for your time in Portugal, if that's what you're doing. Here with my uh, lovely co-host, Amy Long. Hello. All right there. Let's talk Portugal. All right. So we were talking about Penhalunga, the beautiful Ritz-Carlton Resort, and all the things to do around that area so there day two we took our car draw uh, with porto in mind porto mm-hmm. is about what four hours four or five hours north right uh by car had quite the adventure yes uh and no l- let me answer another question you drive on the same side of the street we thought it was going to be left side like old england and stuff like mm-hmm. that no 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 you drive on the regular side of the street just like america so nothing about that and the uh, the steering wheel on the same side. Yep. 
you know, so no issues there in case you were wondering. Uh, but we were making our way up to Porto. You got to understand gas is expensive Very. In, uh, in Europe right now because they fill their cars by the liter. It's not by the gallon like here. It's liters. So when you see gas prices at like $1.85, they mean per liter. Right. <laughs> or $2 right. or whatever it is. I know it's gone up since last year and everything. Right now, I just checked the averages, averaging about $7 a gallon. Mm. Woo! Gas is yeah. expensive. Yes, it uh, is. Along the way, you'll still see, uh, 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 psh, uh, what do you call them, convenience stores and things like that on the side of the road. Coffee's weird. Donuts are weird. <laughs> I just When I'm, he says coffee's weird, Portugal uh, does not believe in a lot of yeah. coffee to go. Yeah. They want you to sit and enjoy your coffee. So when we stopped to get gas, it was raining pretty hard. We ran in to get coffee. Uh, yeah, they don't do that. They have an actual like espresso machine mm-hmm. in there with yeah. actual ceramic coffee mugs and espresso mugs, yeah. and we had to sit and drink our coffee. And the guy looked super annoyed when I asked him for a to-go cup. He was like, uh, <laughs> freaking American guy. Anyway, we finally made it up to Bordeaux. Here's some of the places real quick. You know, they do have Uber. Again, once we got to our hotel, and we did stay at the Sheraton Porto, it wasn't mm-hmm. anything. Uh, like, we are Marriott Bonvoy evangelists. It wasn't anything to write home about. Right. Kind of the first property I was almost a little bit disappointed in. Uh, for okay. Marriott, okay? Mm-hmm. They do have Uber. So once we got to the hotel, we parked because the streets are crazy small. Yes, And very people narrow. drive there like it's the Italian job. Uh, <laughs> it is wild. Uh, but so Uber was very very affordable, very cheap. Some of the places that we hit, uh, Bolsa Palace, uh, um, Clarigos Church and Tower. It's the big tall tower that's in the Porto skyline. It's very famous. It's like 200 and something steps up to the top of the tower. We didn't do it uh, because it was already, I think, late in the evening. It was pretty late in the evening, but we did go into the church and walk around. The church is stunning. It was lovely. I All was taking pictures. Glass. Yes. Uh, I interrupted people's prayers. I felt so bad, but <laughs> the church is lovely and no one threw anything at me, like holy water or anything. <laughs> uh, near there, a place we did not get to visit, but Which the Lavaria was- Lello. Very disappointed. Uh, it's what they kind of, some people call it the Harry Potter bookstore because it has an old, beautiful red staircase that you have to pay to go in and take pictures on. Mm-hmm. So influencers and people who like to pretend they live, you know, these lives on Instagram, they pay and wait in line for hours to go take pictures. Hey, if that's what you do, bro. Whatever. I'm just saying it's kind of a waste of time. But if you can make your way into the bookstore, the bookstore is cool itself. Yikes. And so that is kind of what we did for day two. Because the the drive takes so much time up to Porto, the next morning we started. So this is day three. The next morning we started uh, in Batala Square, which is a famous square. Batala, I think I'm messing that up as well, at a little restaurant called Java. Again, they don't like to-go coffee, so plan to sit and enjoy your Java in the morning. Yeah, or bring you a cuppy, uh, a cuppy, bring you a cup along, <laughs> a to-go cuppy along, and uh, drink it, you know, just get them to pour it in there, buy two, and just say, fill it up or whatever, and right. yeah, I'm sure they'll, you'll get but some looks, but dude, you It know, was whatever. nice, though, to actually sit and enjoy coffee. Mm-hmm. From there, we uh, explored some beautiful back alleys, made our way down to St. Lawrence Church, that's St. Lawrence Church, again, a lot of these places are I mean, you're going to, I mean, you recognize them instantly. 
mm-hmm. uh, once you uh, walk down there. So we walked down to the water. Uh, we went to uh, Porto Cathedral, too. Oh, right. We uh, saw yeah, so many that. beautiful churches and cathedrals. So and many. Monasteries. Uh, they're they're mm-hmm. everywhere. And just you turn a corner and there's another beautiful one. Yeah. So when he says we explored back alleys, and it's not yeah. creepy alleys either. These <laughs> no, are lovely little alleys, colorful doors to people's homes. How many and, doors did we stop? In oh, front I of think and I take have pictures, pictures of like twenty yeah. something doors. All every one of them looks different. So Porto Cathedral, St. Lawrence Church, of course, the famous uh, Louis the First Bridge. Uh, fun things we did: we took the gondola ride. These are the the Gaia cable cars, mm-hmm. but it goes over the city. It's on uh, on the I think the east side of the river, and you get a great view of the city of the famous red uh, roofs and all of that and explored all the great scenery up there before we had to go and we stayed there around lunchtime mm-hmm. before we made our way back to our hotel to to check out and head back uh start going back down the coast back towards lisbon this is where it really got fun because we hit some small towns right we were able to go to obidos obidos has A castle there that's beautiful. Obidos Castle dates back to, I want to say, the 1100s or maybe beyond that. Okay. It has a strong, like, uh, uh, Muslim influence as far as uh, decor and things like that. Beautiful. And the town is beautiful and it's small. Check it out. Obidos Castle and the town of Obidos. Uh, From there, we drove over to Praia del Rey to visit the Praia del Rey Marriott for a gorgeous sunset because the property sits right on the water. Again, this is like it has a golf course mm-hmm. as well. So Praia del Rey uh, Marriott is also kind of an elevated experience as far as the Marriott's and things, but it's well worth it. I had a, whew, man, it's, it was so nice. One of our favorite travel pictures is from, Yay. from Praia del Rey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. With a sunset. Yep. Sunset photos. So that's quickly days two and three, but you can, easily get lost in Porto and just have a good time. Or if you want to skip a big, bigger town and just hit cities, Obidos, Praia del Rey, along the coast, any of these coastline cities, and there's a ton of them, you could have a good time. So to round it out, our last day, we had to get back to Lisbon very quickly. So that morning, though, speaking of towns on the coast, what is that town called? Panesh? Panesh. Panesh. I loved it. We drove over about... 15 minutes to the town of Panesh. There's a fort there that's always closed for some reason. It's, it's like a museum. It's a museum, but the museum was never open. <laughs> <laughs> I looked the other day. It was still closed. Uh, but we went to this place called Java House, or it also has another name, the Puro Cake Lab, mm-hmm. for breakfast. Wonderful coffee, cappuccinos, lattes, so, all kinds yeah, of stuff. Bakery slash coffee shop. Mm. Again, another one of these. Wonderful. Sit, sit down and enjoy your coffee. But I loved it. I loved everything about this place. <laughs> I wanted to pack it up and bring it home. I with think me. that that was, a, you were like, the, I want to shop and I, I want it to be I, this. I immediately told him I wanted to come home and open my own. So coffee shop I was and looking bakery. at places to live. You were trying <laughs> to steal a bakery. Like we were doing good at this point in our travel. Uh, we, we made back to Lisbon. It was about two and a half, three hours drive back into Lisbon from Panesh, maybe two hours or so. Yeah. Uh, and then we took a public train to Sintra, the very colorful, because we didn't get to really look around before. Sintra is the beautiful 
brightly painted town with the colorful castle at the top that's on all the postcards. It was raining. So we went to Cafe Paris. We did explore the Central Palace, which is not the castle on the top. It is the actual palace at the bottom, you know, in the city where the king used to come and meet with his royal court and and all of that stuff. Uh, and then we went by this little place called Mia Pipa. Maya Pipa? Yeah. Okay, something like that, man. It's M-E-I-A-P-I-P-A. Mia Pipa, Maya Pipa. For drinks, it was excellent. It was tiny. It was tiny. Tiny little place. So Cafe Paris for lunch, Mia Pipa for drinks before we headed out the next day. Now, a couple of points. The public train to Sintra, okay, it leaves from uh, Rosso Station in Lisbon, okay? That's the only one that goes directly to Sintra. So you got to go to Rosso Station to go to Sintra by train. If you go there anytime after, I want to say, 11 o'clock in the day, good luck because it's going to fill up with tourists. And there's hardly any parking, which is why we did not drive our rental car. Any parking in Sintra. So, you know, good luck if you do drive. But even by train, the tickets and the ticket line can stretch on for a very long time because so many people are trying to get over to Sintra. We went first thing in the morning. We didn't really have any problems. We did have to wait in line for a couple of minutes, but I don't think it was anything worth the fuss. But when we like came back during the day, it was packed. It was yeah. packed even on a rainy day. Yeah. And it was pouring that day. It was so packed with people. So you want to get your tickets for the train early. As soon as you know, you're going or first thing in the morning, I kid you not. What did you think about Centra very quickly before we have to sign off here? I loved it. I wish it wouldn't have rained because I think we would have stayed longer and explored more. But by that point, we were soaking wet and uh, kind of <laughs> tired because it had sort of been a long day. Is but that where we bought an uh, umbrella? We, <laughs> again, it rains every time we go on a trip and we never remember to bring umbrellas. So we ran into this little store that's kind of more of like... Um, a teenage girl accessories type of store, but we like, saw they had umbrellas. Like yeah, like Claire's. <laughs> and we, but we saw they had umbrellas in the window, mm. pinks and purples. We ended up buying two umbrellas, $20 each. Walk around the corner to another little gift shop, $5 blue umbrellas. Yeah. So we now have some very expensive Portuguese umbrellas in our garage. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's how you get souvenirs, man. Souvenirs. But we fit in, like you said, Centra is colorful and so we had the colorful yeah. umbrellas to go with it so to check out the full itinerary i know we kind of had to fly through it but hey that's time man uh go to fullmetaltraveler.com we'll have the itinerary there under the uh, episode under this week's episode uh you can check it out and take from it what you want or feel free to leave us suggestions me personally i think Centra is overrated but a lot of people really like it because it's colorful and makes for good instagram photos so you know there you go. However you want to see it, that's that's what you should take away from it. So want to thank uh, Clint Henderson, the managing editor at The Points Guy, for uh, joining us, for uh, spilling the beans, everything we need to know about what's coming up as far as restrictions to Europe and uh, all of that stuff. So all the fun about Portugal. We hope we helped you out just a little bit. So for everyone here, I want to say thank you so much. Check us out, fullmetaltraveler.com. I'm Jeremy Long. This has been Unscaled.